0: This episode of Indie Film Weekly is brought to you by Vimeo.
1: Welcome to Indie Film Weekly, a no film school podcast. I'm Liz Nord. I'm Emily Booter.
0: And I'm John Fusco.
1: It's 420 bra. In other words, April 20th, 2017. And on this week's show, will Netflix movies soon be hitting theaters? Plus more NAB previews, delving into digital cinema packages and what we're excited for as the 16th Tribeca Film Festival opens this week. As always, we'll also bring news you can use about new gear, upcoming deadlines, indie film releases, and Ask No Film School. Welcome to this week's show from downtown Brooklyn, New York, home of No Film School. It's a big week here with both NAB and the Tribeca Film Fest kicking off, but we're still here to bring you everything you might have missed while you were busy making films. When we started this show a little over a year ago, I would not have guessed how consistently Netflix would figure into our headlines. But these are the times we live in. The company just released its first quarterly earnings report of 2017, and it fell short of its anticipated new subscriber base. After gaining a record 7.05 million new customers in the final quarter of last year, the company predicted 5.2 million new subscribers this quarter, but it fell short with a mere 4.9 million. The report also contains some fun facts, and you know how I love fun facts. One of them is that Dave Chappelle released his new comedy specials exclusively on Netflix last month after an almost 10-year hiatus, and their viewership has already topped all of the other Netflix comedy specials to date. You saw them, right John?
0: Yeah, I watched both. We made a thing out of it. I went to my friend's house and we had like three of us over there and, you know, watched them and did some other stuff.
1: Three people move a thing. Hey, it's 420. (laughs) Let's guess what you did. Anyway.
0: Hey, this is it's not that kind of show.
1: Oh, it's a children's show. We have the explicit rating on iTunes. Oh, yeah. This is a kiddie show?
0: Yes, for children.
1: For kiddies. Anyway, Dave Chappelle, sorry, we're just not as funny as you are. I saw the first one so far. I thought it was pretty good, but it's hard when expectations are that high. Hi, see, it's 420 show. Anyway, so the other fun fact, speaking of comedy, is that uh, this actually isn't that fun. I think it's crazy. But Netflix revealed that its members have spent more than half a billion hours watching Adam Sandler's films on the site, prompting them to sign a deal with Sandler for four new original films. I feel like Adam
2: Sandler is going to continue just performing and acting from his grave. Like there's something about him that will just never die and it continues to resurrect itself. I don't know what it is, but it it continues to happen.
0: Didn't they already have a deal with him for like six films before this or something? So they just added another four to it? Is that what happened?
1: Apparently the world can't get enough of Adam Sandler. Jeez. Anyway, the company's spending on original content isn't slowing down for Sandler or anybody else. Despite the slight dip in expected subscribers, And all this news prompted one of my favorite headlines in the past week from Variety. It was Netflix's new chutzpah. It wants to be as big as YouTube. The article describes CEO Reed Hastings' quarterly analyst call, wherein he somewhat creepily implied that Netflix's biggest competition is now sleep and also YouTube. This is a big shift. The company used to aspire to grow bigger than HBO, but now its subscriber base far surpasses HBOs, and so now they're gunning for YouTube. Apparently, he mentioned YouTube several times during the call, saying, YouTube announced they were 1 billion hours a day. When we looked it up, we're a little over 1 billion a week, so we've got a long way to go to catch up. You could argue that almost everything about the two businesses is so different that it's like comparing apples and oranges. But either way, there's good news in all of this for filmmakers, especially for some of you in the countries where Netflix is expanding to. So of those 4.9 million new subscribers that I mentioned earlier, 3.53 million of them came from outside the US. According to The Hollywood Reporter, this means that the company has prioritized local productions in large potential markets, including Brazil and several countries in Europe, which means more distribution and job opportunities for you all. In perhaps the biggest news for filmmakers, Netflix has conceded that it will be willing to release some of its fare into theaters at the same time as they launch on the streaming service, placating those of us who didn't want to sacrifice having our work seen on the big screen in order to have it on Netflix. However, the language around the move feels a little more cynical than supportive. The quarterly shareholder letter said, quote, since our members are funding these films, they should be the first to see them. But we're also open to supporting the large theater chains like AMC and Regal in the U.S. if they want to offer our films, such as our upcoming Will Smith film Bright, in theaters simultaneous to Netflix. Here's the real ominous part. It continues, let consumers choose. So we'll see if people vote, you know, with their with their wallets to see movies in theaters or on Netflix. That's- this is big news. I never thought I'd see the day, at least
2: not so soon that Netflix would would bow down to the theater chains. So that's pretty big.
0: Netflix News Weekly.
2: I've got some pretty sad news for you all this week. You may have already heard, but the genius cinematographer Michael Bauhaus passed away last week at the age of 81. Bauhaus, who was German, had a really storied career and worked with Fassbinder, Martin Scorsese, and Francis Ford Coppola on some of those directors' most iconic films. As our writer Scout Tafoya wrote, in an obituary on NoFilmSchool.com, Bauhaus was, quote, one of the secret, largely unsung architects of modern cinema as we know it. Wow. Bauhaus got his start with Fastbinder. In their work together, they created a Brechtian alienation and deliberately stultifying style that involved precise proximity of faces to high-key lights. And that incorporated ideas from early German cinema and American melodrama. And here's 50 cents
1: for those words.
2: <laughs> When Fassbinder died in 1982, Bauhaus went to America to start a new chapter in his career, and that's when he met Scorsese. Their first work together was on Scorsese's extremely low-budget film, After Hours, which the two shot in New York City at night. Their collaboration spanned a decade, Ballhaus helped Scorsese incorporate the newly invented Steadicam into his visual language. So Marty can thank the German cinematographer for those never-ceasing whirlwind of zooms and dollies and tracks that draw us into the world of his movies. They worked on some of Scorsese's most memorable projects like Goodfellas, which happens to have the most famous Steadicam shot of all time in it, The Age of Innocence, The Gangs of New York, and The Departed. Ballhaus also shot Prince's directorial debut Under the Cherry Moon and apparently helped him direct the movie, and it shows with its lush black and white and the scenes of Prince and his sidekick in their apartment, which have the hermetic Brechtian feel of late Fassbinder. Ballhaus went on to work with Francis Ford Coppola on 1992's Dracula, which features cinematography so intoxicating that it eclipses every other aspect of production, in the words of Scout Tafoya.
0: Keanu Reeves? I don't know. Keanu Reeves is in that movie. Oh. And that's a pretty key aspect of production, you know.
2: <laughs> Intoxicating. Intoxicating. Yes. For definitely. There's an unforgettable image every few seconds apparently, and the in-camera special effects harken back to the best of German expressionism. Bauhaus's images are forever etched into the canon of cinema. His dolly shots tracing circles, his faces distorted in mirrors, heads cropped off at the corner, close-ups of small objects, and faces cut by light passing through blinds, and some of the most elaborately choreographed long takes enhance the
1: art of filmmaking forevermore. Rest in peace, you legend, Michael Bauhaus. As I mentioned at the top of the show, the 16th annual Tribeca Film Festival kicked off last night and it runs through April 30th. The big opening show was held at New York's legendary Radio City Music Hall, a fitting venue for the opening night film about someone who no lesser authority than Aretha Franklin called the greatest record man of all time. The opening night doc is called Clive Davis, The Soundtrack of Our Lives, and the screening also included live performances by Franklin herself, along with music luminaries like Earth, & Fire, Barry Manilow, and Carly Simon. Interestingly, even though the festival received a record number of film submissions, the programming team deliberately reduced the size of the overall slate by 20%, so there are fewer films playing in the festival, which theoretically means that those selected are of even higher quality. Meanwhile. They've expanded sections from the broader world of entertainment, including a bigger TV lineup this year, with 15 shows screening, including five series premieres, four season premieres, and three independent pilots, along with the StoryScape's showcase of immersive and interactive stories and a two-day video game festival. Ooh, video games. And now, for everyone's favorite segment... The Welcome bottom. Welcome to the
2: bottom line. I'm back to bring you the hottest acquisitions fresh off the festival circuit. As we head into day one of Tribeca, we've already got a slew of hungry, hungry hippos, otherwise known as buyers or distributors, who have snatched up films before anyone else could see them. For starters, we've got three highly anticipated documentaries that have already found homes. The Reagan Show, which my friend co-edited for CNN Films, has been picked up by Gravitas Ventures for a June 30th release date. I got a chance to see it last week, and boy, is it as timely as ever. It's comprised entirely of archival footage that shows how the actor did the unprecedented for a president. He had cameras follow him around the White House, which ushered in a new age of politics governed by sensationalist 24-hour news cycles. Reagan's presidency was the first act of veritable performance art in the White House. Sound familiar? <laughs>
0: to who to who Is it trump, trump?
1: Hmm. <laughs> it's also amazing like who would have guessed reagan was such a um like a prophet in a way because that was even before reality tv and the idea of having cameras follow you around all the time was commonplace yeah
0: well they're two very like similar presidents in the sense that they're both are sort of entertainers before they were presidents so
2: Gravitas also bought Elion the remarkable story of the five-year-old Cuban child who was saved from the Florida Straits on Thanksgiving Day in 1999, setting a fierce custody battle into motion. National Geographic also bought the coal mining dock from the ashes. As for narratives, Sony Pictures and A24 nabbed As is all Jacobs, The Lovers. Kina Lorber bought Tama Finland from the critically acclaimed Finnish director Dome Karakoski, who's about to direct his first feature film, Stateside, called The Starling, starring Keanu Reeves. Yes. It's a Keanu day here at No Film School. It is. Keanu, believe it? Oh, (laughs) wow. (laughs) (laughs) Ellie. I'd give you a gold star if I had one. And that's it for the bottom line. Liz? What are you excited to see at Tribeca?
1: Please tell me. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, thank you for sharing that bottom line with Emily Booter. I am excited about a lot of things, particularly in light of this kind of reduced programming slate. We just published a post that lists several of ours, but I'll pick a uh, a couple here. I think Josephine Decker is one of the most interesting filmmakers working today. She seems to be always experimenting with the form, and she's getting a great reputation for it. She was actually the first filmmaker ever to have two films premiere at once at Berlin International back in 2014, and she was also one of the directors featured in the experimental omnibus film, Collective Unconscious, that we did an interview podcast about at South by Southwest last year. This year, she has two features slated to come out, and one of them is playing at Tribeca. It's a hybrid documentary called Flames about the rise and fall of her romantic relationship with fellow artist Zephyr Thrawell, who also co-directs the film. I'll be interviewing the two of them plus the film's DP for a future podcast, and I'm super excited about it. Sounds really interesting. What are Their about real
2: you? relationship. Their
1: On real film. relationship, yeah, and everything I, documented. I think sometimes those can go really wrong, like they become these ego projects. But in this case, both of the protagonists are so interesting that I think um, they're going to break out of the cliches of the form. I'm excited. What about you, um Well,
2: I'm incredibly excited to see what is probably the wildest film at Tribeca this year. It's called November from Estonian director Rainer Sarnet. And naturally, I'd be the first in line to see this and get an interview, so that's going to happen. It's a beguiling compendium of Estonian folklore set on the edge of a vast forest in the 19th century. And if you're not already intrigued, I don't know who you are, but let me throw in some werewolves, spirits, the plague, and a doomed romance. All of the intersecting stories have one thing in common. They grapple with the existence of the human soul. November is shot in luscious black and white, and the images I've seen from the film thus far are nothing short of transfixing.
1: Yeah, for those of you who don't listen to the show regularly, first of all, shame on you. And secondly, um, yeah, Emily is our resident, like, Northern European-ophile and former Eastern Blocophile. <laughs> so that is why this film makes lots of sense for her. And I'm the one on the team that kind of advocates the newer forms of storytelling. So I always look forward to the Storyscapes presentations every year. Tribeca, as we've talked about on the show before, has really pushed the envelope for the whole field since they started doing this in 2013. Actually, one of the first interactive docs that I covered for my former outlet, POV, was at Escapes in 2014. It was called Clouds and it won the Storyscapes Award that year. So I've been following the creators who now call themselves Scatter ever since. They were actually on the podcast with me talking about their amazing VR piece that premiered at Sundance earlier this year, and now they're back at Tribeca with arguably their most ambitious project to date. It's an interactive VR doc called Blackout, and it uses the volumetric filmmaking process that Scatter developed to capture real-time commentary and experiences of passengers on a New York subway. That is so cool. I think it's going to be really cool because like, part of what's interesting about it is that they're editing it live with an evolving cast, so it's an entirely new narrative every time you experience the project. So I really don't know what to expect, like what that's actually gonna be like, but that's part of what makes this work so exciting to me. No kidding. And there's a lot of, as I mentioned, there's a lot of TV on the lineup, too. Is there anything that's piquing your interest there? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the
2: most anticipated events at Tribeca this year altogether is the premiere of the Hulu original series The Handmaid's Tale from cinematographer-turned-director Reed Murano. We've written a lot about her on No Film School, by the way. We're big fans of hers. It's based on Margaret Atwood's acclaimed novel, and it's the story of Gilead, a modern-day totalitarian society facing environmental disasters and a plunging birth rate. And it's ruled by a fundamentalist regime that treats women as property. As one of the few fertile women left, Offred, played by Elizabeth Moss, is forced into sexual servitude in a desperate attempt to repopulate the world. In a society where one wrong word could end her life, Offred has one goal, survive and find the daughter taken from her. By the way, that's the synopsis from Tribeca. I'm excited to be interviewing Murano about the film, and look out
1: for the article shortly on NoFilmSchool.com. Lots to look forward to. And Tribeca isn't the only big event starting this week. The big NAB show uh, kicks off this weekend in Vegas. Um, we've talked about it a lot on the show, and we cover it extensively on the site. It's the largest convention of media, entertainment, and tech in the world. And this year, we'll be on the ground with a team of 12, including our own John Fusco, for full coverage. But in the meantime, here's tech writer Charles Hain to continue the NAB preview he started last week.
3: So it is indeed the last week before NAB. So our tech news today is going to be dominated by a host of rumors and some actual confirmed news hitting the streets that will all circulate around NAB next week but in the meantime there's one interesting non-NAB related piece of news to cover. GoPro is offering a trade-in program for current GoPro owners looking to upgrade to the Hero 5. The program currently appears to work for any GoPro no matter how old or in what condition so this is a particularly tantalizing for those of you with a Hero 2 that stopped working in 2014 sitting on your desk as a paperweight. The discount is up to $100, depending upon what model you apply it to, and you can send in as many old GoPros as you like. So if you've got five Hero 2s sitting around, you can get yourself a free Hero 5, which is a major upgrade. On to NAB. NAB. Uh, It already looks like one of the rumors we talked about last week turned out to be just slightly wrong. Word on the street was there there was going to be a DJI Phantom 5, but by the end of last week, it was confirmed that it's just going to be the Phantom 4 Advanced, which has been officially released. It's still an improvement with a spec bump up to 4K 60p capture, which is great out of a drone, but it is not a full number revision. In terms of rumors, it's looking more and more likely that C-Log, or some flavor of officially supported log, is coming to the 5D. Of course, Technicolor CineStyle has been uh, promoting log style footage from the 5D for years, but there's always issues with flesh tones, and it was never a real log capture format. So having official log capture in a 5D from Canon would be super cool. We're also seeing some official releases for NAB with big news in the lens world being a new line of Cook S7 glass. Cook is the oldest name in lens making, and their S4 and S5 primes have shot a ton of the biggest movies around. With the S7 line, they now cover full-frame sensors. So, cinematographers are going to have another amazing option when they're shooting red 8K VistaVision cameras. Uh, Early tests indicated it'll probably also cover the 16 by 9 area on the Alexa 65, that won't cover Alexa 65 open gate. The whole line opens to a T2, which is really great. Yeah, I'm particularly excited that Cook is covering full-frame sensors. Um, Just this morning, Sound Devices came out with their new mix Pre-Recorders for under-camera and podcast use. There's a lot of competition in the sound recorder you put under your camera market, but uh, some of them don't have the most amazing audio quality and the MixPre promise to deliver great sounding audio using cashmere preamps and uh, they can record to SD cards, also do a USB connection and they're triggerable via HDMI. Take a look. NAB kicks off in earnest on Sunday. We'll have three teams covering the event, so tune in all next week for a host of coverage of the latest and greatest film tools around. Yeah, we'll be releasing
0: daily newsletters about each, every single video we get up, which last year was more than 100. So, you know, stay tuned and uh, check out what we have going on next week. And we'll take a short break now with that. We'll be back with Charles for Ask No Film School. Life happens in 360 degrees, and now on Vimeo.com, so do your videos. Now you can upload, watch, and even sell your 360 videos on Vimeo. Vimeo 360 means immersive eye candy, immersive adventures, and immersive storytelling from the world's best filmmakers. Plus, Vimeo has a ton of helpful resources for all experience levels. How to shoot, how to edit, and even roundups of the best 360 video gear are available on the site. Join the new home for 360 video at Vimeo.com 360. And we're back. Charles, what's the Ask No Film School question this week?
3: All right, so we've got a great question this week. Xavier Rodriguez Magaña asks, I'm looking to exhibit a trilogy of short films this summer. I'm looking at theaters, festivals, contests, galleries. How important and necessary is converting my films to DCP? Can I do this on my own? Or what services can I trust with this step? What are the ranges of costs for such services? Or... As the editor, Liz, summarized when preparing this document, DCP is a thing, question mark? Which I thought was great. Yes. Yes, DCP is still a thing, even in 2017. So, if you've ever had a video playback slowly on your computer, or stutter, or crash while playing, or had to download another codec to get the video to work right, you'll get why DCP still matters. You couldn't have any of those problems operating in a the theater. If you were in the middle of watching Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 and playback started to stutter, that would be a huge issue. So, DCP is designed to playback flawlessly in any theater anywhere in the world. You'll never have your movie stutter, you'll never have it crash and need to restart. It's just going to play. However, if you want something to just work, it needs to be made to a very specific and like highly limited set of standards, specifically with DCP JPEG 2000 encoding at a specific data rate, and then you need to put it on an EXT formatted hard drive. You can totally make this yourself. I've done it with free software called Open DCP, and you can get software licenses from Easy DCP that plug into Blackmagic Resolve, and it works very well. However, unless you want to get really good at it, I'd talk you out of it because DCP has surprising complications. You really need to test a DCP in a true DCP-enabled theater, and this usually costs money. Like in LA, Downtown Independent, for $150, dollars will let you come test your DCP. Uh, They might offer a discount for shorts, but that's what it costs for a two-hour block for a feature, and that's actually a really good deal. So, you can test the DCP on your home computer using like DCP playback emulators, but that's not going to really tell you if you've done your DCP right. You need to go to a real theater, and that's going to cost money. When I did my DCP myself on a feature, it took four times of going back to the Downtown Independent to get the DCP right. It would work perfectly on the home theater, but then played back on the real DCP server. It wouldn't load, or would load, but the dissolves would be wrong, or the audio sync would be slightly off. Every time, I'd have to go back fix it, and then pay again to check it in the theater. It was all easy to fix, but it ended up costing more money to check the DCP than it would have to just pay someone else to make a DCP. So what I recommend is unless you want to get really good at DCP creation, just hire this company, Simple DCP. They charge very reasonable rates. It's all they do. They are very good at it. They do a lot of it. And they also will handle your print traffic for many festivals. So a lot of festivals, if you make your DCP with Simple DCP, they keep it there and they'll handle getting it to the festivals. If you have access to a free DCP server, you can totally try doing it at home. But sometimes it's cheaper just to pay a service that's very experienced to do it. And uh, Simple DCP is really the way to go. Just a follow-up question for you. Is there anything that you have
0: to keep in mind when you're shooting your film or compiling your assets When you're sending, you know, all these files to the DCP people?
3: Uh, I wouldn't worry about it too much when you're shooting your movie. Uh, Like, for instance, Simple DCP will take a ProRes file. So, you edit your movie in Premiere or Avid, you export a ProRes, and you color it in Resolve, and then you export a ProRes 444 Master. You can just send that file to them, and they'll turn it into a DCP. Okay, cool. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks, Charles. Oh, you're welcome. My pleasure. We'll see you next week. Yeah, see you in Vegas, everybody. Say hi if you see us.
1: And now on to some independent films opening this week. Coming to
2: VOD on Amazon Prime Instant, we've got American Honey on April 27th. I actually saw Andrea Arnold's film when it premiered at Cannes this time last year, and it quickly became one of my favorites of hers. Like all of Arnold's movies, it's about a young girl chasing authentic self-expression. In this case Star, played by Sasha Lane, who trades her abusive home in Oklahoma for life-selling magazines on the road with a motley crew of other teenagers, led by Jake, played by Shia LaBeouf, and Crystal, played by Riley Keough. Arnold was inspired to make the film after reading a New York Times article about the door-to-door magazine crew subculture. She went on an American road trip and cast her lead, a non-actor who was on spring break in Florida. Production on the film was an actual road trip— Arnold and the crew traveled 12,000 miles across the Midwest, filming in Arnold's signature naturalistic and often unscripted style. At Cannes, she said, quote, we have rules, but they're chaotic. It's following chaos. For me, it's as pure as you can get. It's just a camera on a shoulder.
0: Another film that we caught at a festival last year that's coming to Netflix on April 21st is Adam Leon's Tramps. So I saw it at TIFF last year, and I didn't really know what to expect from it, but I was pleasantly surprised, I could say. It was picked up by Netflix shortly after the fest, and I've been waiting for news on it to come out for a while because I managed to catch up with the director and his screenwriting partner for a podcast back when we were in Toronto, and we've been sitting on it ever since. So it's finally coming out next week. Keep an ear out for that. We might get more into that later. But after that talk, I can say that whatever qualms I had with the film itself were made up by the filmmaker's intentions. So that's kind of a nice nice way uh, to get a fuller appreciation for a film is by talking to the filmmaker after you've seen his finished product. For sure. And I say this because the film is a romantic comedy, which isn't really my forte, as Emily and Liz might know. Um, it's about a young man and a woman who fall in love with each other while performing a drop-off for the uh, guy's criminal brother. So- that was intriguing to me, that whole sort of premise premise of the ordinary person thrust into an extraordinary situation sort of thing. Also of interest to me, or what, what I found most interesting while watching it, is that it plays as an homage to the old French New Wave, man and woman on the run flicks. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of those. And it was refreshing for me to see that style placed on such a modern story and like a modern landscape in New York. Um, So yeah, it stars up and coming actors Callum Turner and Grace Van Patten, and I recommend checking it out on Netflix.
2: And Grace Van Patten looks exactly like Shailene Woodley, by the way.
0: Another project that's coming to Netflix this week is Bill Nye Saves the World season one, and that's coming on April 21st. And you know, this isn't an indie film, really, but it's still awesome. Who doesn't remember Bill Nye, the science guy? He's always been awesome.
2: Since the day he was born, he came out of the womb talking like himself. He came out
0: of the womb knowing exactly what happened. Yes. His return to the public sphere is very welcome, as the show promises to explore various problems and misconceptions from a scientific point of view that may be lacking in today's modern media landscape. And it's a particularly apt week for the premiere, too, what with the scientists' marches going on around the country, Earth Day on Saturday, and 420 enthusiasts will be glad to hear that the new theme song is performed by none other than Tyler the Creator. Who actually doesn't smoke weed, but people like his music. The show comes out on the heels of the festival premiere of the documentary Bill Nye Science Guy, which is a film that had the most successful Kickstarter campaign for a documentary ever, raising $680,000. Oakley Anderson Moore sat down with the directors behind that doc at South by Southwest and dug into what it was like to push the famed man of science into unknown territory, a place where he's not exactly...
2: Comfortable. Yeah,
0: or like known for being. He seems like he knows everything. And coming out in theaters this week, you can finally check out Free Fire on April 21st. This is Ben Wheatley's latest, and it's an action movie that's supposed to have one of the best gunfights of all time. In fact... It's pretty much the premise for the entire film. (laughs) It's one big gunfight. Set in Boston in 1978, it follows a meeting in a deserted warehouse between two gangs, which turns into that shootout and a game of survival. The film is being released by A24, which is, you know, enough of a reason to get excited in itself. But it also boasts a crazy talented indie veteran cast, including Charlito Copley, who is famous from uh, District 9 and, you know, all the other guys' movies. Forget the name of that director, because he hasn't really. Elysium and Neil Blomkamp. Yeah. That's it. And he's directing, I think, an Alien movie, too, that's coming out. But Charlito Copley is the man. It also features Brie Larson, Army Hammer, and Killian Murphy. So it's one of the movies I'm most excited about seeing, at least after missing it time after time on the festival circuit last year. It was in like four of the festivals that we saw, and I really wanted to see it, but I sort of stuck to my mantra of waiting to see movies that I can see in theaters later on, and now I can see it.
2: Your awesome. ideals are so solid,
1: John. Eh, I
0: don't know about that, but
1: <laughs> Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> And we've got some grant deadlines coming up. The next round of the Roy W. Dean Film Grants are due on April 30th. There are three of them throughout the year, spring, summer, and fall. This um, grant funds independent feature films, documentaries, web series, and short films that are unique and make a contribution to society that, without its help, might otherwise never get made. So basically, my favorite kinds of movies. We've talked about this grant on the show before. And one thing that's really, really nice about it, in addition to the $3,500 dollar cash award and the goods and discounted services that you can get, um, which we'll link to from nofilmschool.com, is that every single person who applies, whether you win or not, gets a phone consultation with the grant manager Carol Dean about any of the topics in your grant. and uh, she's really, really helpful. I've actually uh, had one of those consultations before and so it's really worth applying just to have uh, a funding expert you know weigh in on your project.
0: And another grant we caught wind of earlier this week is the Flies Collective Film Grant, which is in its inaugural year. The Flies Collective is a New York-based production company, and in an interview with IndieWire, one of the filmmakers that runs the collective explained that after the members of the collective had a good run making money in commercial work, they wanted to give back to the indent film world by pumping $10,000 into a no-strings-attached grant opportunity to help more formally experimental works. So, if you have a narrative, documentary, or experimental film of both short
2: or feature length, you can apply. The Film Independent Producing Lab and the Sloan Producers Grant has a deadline of May 1st. If you're a producer with a feature length, narrative, and active development, or pre-production, you could be eligible for $30,000 from the Sloan Foundation. The producing lab also helps to further the careers of its fellows by introducing them to film professionals who can advise them on both the craft and the business of independent producing. In addition to attending class sessions with guest speakers from film's legal, financial, and production arenas, each producing fellow will be paired with an experienced creative advisor with whom they'll work in class and one-on-one to further develop their project over the course of the program. The lab culminates in a day-long pitch session with established executives, which offers participants valuable practical experience and the chance to expose their projects to a larger cross-section of the industry. Okay, so you have to go through the lab first in order to be eligible for this $30,000
1: grant, so apply to both. And the prestigious Sundance Screenwriters Lab has a deadline of May 2nd. It's more than a five-day screenwriting workshop. It's the gateway for all films chosen to be in the director's lab, as well as eligibility to many of the Sundance grants. Through one-on-one story sessions with creative advisors, fellows engage in an artistically rigorous process that offers them indispensable lessons in craft, as well as the means to do the deep exploration needed to fully realize their material. And we had a roundtable of people who went through the Sundance Screenwriters Lab on the No Film School podcast before. Right, remember mm-hmm. about that. <laughs> Our very own Ryan Koo did it, and so can you.
0: And now moving on, to some festival deadlines. The Bend Film Festival has their deadline on April twenty fifth. It runs from October twelfth to October fifteenth, with most venues located in Bend's historic downtown and the nearby Old Mill District. Bend is in Oregon, by the way. If you aren't, it's beautiful. Too up to date on your West Coast geography. Every award comes with a cash prize, but the best of show at $5,000 and the best narrative feature with a $60,000 camera rental package from Panavision are probably the most enticing. It's a top 100 best reviewed fest on Film Freeway and a near constant fixture of Movie Maker Magazine's 50 film festivals worth the entry fee.
2: Submit to Fantastic Fest on April 26th, which takes place from September 21st to 28th in Austin, Texas. Fantastic Fest is the largest genre film festival in the U.S. and it specializes in horror, fantasy fantasy, sci-fi, action, and just plain fantastic movies from all around the world. Uh, according to John, it's like South by Southwest on acid or weed.
0: Weed, you know.
2: 420. you know. <laughs> <laughs> there will be Blood, Apocalypto, Zombieland, The Troll Hunter, and many more all held their premieres there. Fantastic Fest is held each year at the Alamo Drafthouse Cinema on South Lamar.
0: Which is, I think, the better one. I mean, I guess I didn't go to the one on Main Street, but I've heard people say that the one on South Lamar is better. And I really liked the one on South Lamar when we were in South By.
1: And for my fellow doc people out there, the deadline is April 28th for the Camden International Film Festival, a wonderful festival that takes place September 14th to 17th up in beautiful Camden, Maine. It's built itself into one of the top documentary film festivals in the world and is also home to the Points North Documentary Forum, which provides emerging documentarians with opportunities for professional development, creative inspiration. It has year-round programs. They're really great. And also, it's an Academy Award qualifying festival. So in the shout-outs category, I want to congratulate my alma mater, POV, on the announcement of their 30th season, The Venerable Show is the longest-running independent doc series on American TV, and the next season begins airing on Monday, June 26th, but they just released this year's lineup and it looks fantastic as always, including many docs that we've covered this past year, including The War Show, Last Man in Aleppo, Camera Person, and Memories of a Penitent Heart. Cool. In the meantime... We will have tons of coverage from both Tribeca Film Festival and NAB coming up on NoFilmSchool.com. And you can go to NoFilmSchool.com today to check out the podcast post and see links to all of the opportunities and articles that we mentioned on today's show. And next Monday on the No Film School podcast, as you heard, John is interviewing the director of forthcoming Netflix feature Tramps.
0: Yeah, and uh, the screenwriter too, and it was a pretty brutally honest discussion we had in his hotel room in Toronto. Uh, it was it was it was a good discussion. I'm excited to listen to it again. And uh, next week, next Thursday, we'll be uh, broadcasting live—not live, but we'll be broadcasting from Vegas. Uh, and I think it'll be Micah and Charles on the show. I'm not sure if I'll be on it, but um, I'll be editing it so stay tuned for that.
1: Cool, in the meantime, please uh, subscribe and rate us on iTunes or find us on your favorite podcast app. And stay in touch. I'm at Lizfilm on Twitter. At eelbooter
0: At Jim underscore John underscore Jim.
1: And we're all at No Film School. See you from Vegas on Thursday. Oh, 420. 420, brah. Viva Las Vegas.